Good morning. Um, we've been away for two weeks, and we are glad to be back. Um, we were in uh, Kuala Lumpur for two weeks uh, ministering. I did not know that uh, there will be so many meetings. <laughs> we had meetings every day. <laughs> and I only knew about it when I got there. <laughs> and some of the meetings were very, very important meetings, including uh, one for the Church Leaders Annual Conference. Um, and, uh, but the Lord has been very, very gracious to us. Uh, it was not only a, a trip for meetings, but it was also my mother's 90th birthday. And uh, it was quite amazing. We had a small gathering of 60 family members uh, for dinner. And then um, the church uh, had a special birthday for her. Um, and, you know, with COVID, uh, not everybody has come back to church, you know. So it's never, it has not been full uh, as far as attendance is concerned for the past uh, two or three years, but on her birthday, it was full. <laughs> uh, it's great to see that, um, and it brought back memories uh, of those early days when the church had started, and um, it was actually good to see her. She's, um, she's in very good health. Uh, she has I have almost no memory in terms of short-term memory. She has good long-term memory. Uh, but um, you can see that she's the full of the joy of the Lord. Um, and it seems as if all her memories are good ones. <laughs> so she's laughing most of the time. <laughs> it's actually good to see my mom, uh, 90 years old. Um, I want to share with you about a spiritual inheritance. The spiritual inheritance It's not talked about a lot. And, um, and I'd like to talk about this spiritual inheritance that all of us have. That all of us have. There's a treasure that I referred to some weeks ago over here that is an inheritance that does not just come from your particular family, your particular ethnicity, or your particular nationality, or your particular uh, circumstances in life. It comes from God. Now, many people think of church in terms of the services they can receive and the sermons that they can get. And they go to church a lot of times because they think they, there's a good sermon there. And so they come, and, and, and they come to church for the sermon or for the services that the church can give. But may I tell you something? That, that actually misses the whole point about church. Church has to do with the fact that God in Christ has given us an inheritance and has deposited a treasure in the, in the bowels of the church, in the foundation of the church. Not things that we see physically, but in, as a spiritual inheritance, as a something that has been planted in our soul, in our spirit, if you are a person of Christ. And most people don't realize that this inheritance is something that they can actually have, they can dig for, and actually find that it's alive. One of the things that uh, I noticed that maybe when we came back to uh, the, the church in KL is that many people were talking about the history of the church. Forty years ago, um, my parents, as well as my uncle and aunt, um, 
founded the church. And it was tremendous because of the fact that there was a, a I would say, a revival that took place during those days. I remember those days when they first met in my, 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 my father's and mother's house. And then after that, they moved and they moved and they have to keep on moving very, very quickly uh, to such an extent that they, um, uh, people just started coming to Christ and the heal and miracles were ha happening left, right and center. You couldn't keep up with all that was going on. And, uh, and now they are in this uh, um, theater and they have, I don't know how many services there are, but they talk about that. And some of them talk a bit with certain, a certain amount of wit, wistfulness that it's not quite the same as it was in those glory days. Yeah? God's still moving and all that. But there's, there's a certain wistfulness that, that many of the leaders speak with. Looking, looking back towards how they were, looking back to how the leaders were, and thinking of it in terms of their history. And so sometimes what happens is that when you have a good history behind a church or a particular institution, we think of inheritance rather like we think about history. It's there, it was part of our history, but it's not really there anymore. You know what I'm saying? We can think of our legacy, we can think of our heritage, but as something that is historical and somewhat something that, does, that, that, that you can't really access because it happened in the past. I would put it to you that actually spiritual inheritance is completely the opposite thing. Spiritual inheritance is something that is alive today that by virtue of a high price that someone or some people paid has been deposited in the fabric and in the warp and woof of a particular people. So the blessing of Abraham was passed to Isaac and the blessing of Isaac was passed to, 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 to Jacob and the blessing of Jacob was passed to Joseph and then to his sons and all that. And to anyone who would step into the shoes of this covenant. It's a blessing and it's an inheritance that came with a covenant that someone made somewhere along the line and got plugged into what Abraham experienced. So when God speaks to Jacob, he speaks about the fact that the, bless, the inheritance that he had given to Abraham, that he would know his God deeply, with a deep in, intimacy, through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. He will be given land, he will be given progeny, he will be given fruitfulness. All that was for Jacob and his descendants as well. It's an in, eternal inheritance. It's not just locked up in history, but it's something for us, for anyone who would want to access it, access it, how do you say it? access it today or tomorrow or the day after or 40 years later or 100 years later if the, if the Lord still tarries. We don't understand that inheritance is not history, even though it's historical, but it is something that's living and it's alive. So when God says to David, I will give to your descendants the power to have always somebody on the throne, 
and you look at David and you think, well, there are not a lot of his descendants that are on the throne. He's talking about inheritance that can be personalized for anybody who wants it. And so if you ask, if it, if it is true that God promises that David would have these people who will be on the throne, then why is it very few people seem to be experiencing it? It's because it has to be personalized. Every promise of God is not a blanket statement of fact, but it's, it's an invitation to something that's there. It's inlaid into the ground. It's inlaid into the ground in every church, in every company of people, in every Christian. So I'd like to talk about this spiritual inheritance because it is related to Christmas. And then we will have our Advent candle celebration. Is that okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have perhaps dormant, perhaps living in our experience something so tremendous so powerful, so unknown, so mysterious and so wonderful that it could change our whole identity, change our whole life. And so we ask you that even now, in this week of preparation, you will open up the treasures of heaven that you have given to us treasures which most of us have not even begun to access, but which are there nevertheless. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. And we'll read verse, uh, we can read verse 1 to verse 4. Okay? Psalm 89, reading from, from verse 1 to verse 4. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. The word steadfast love is covenant love. The love by which God has made a covenant with us and, and committed himself to us is the word has said. Um, it's not just lovey-dubbiness, but it is the fact that God has committed himself to us and calls us into relationship with him. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love, has said again, will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build a throne forever for all generations. Or build your throne for all generations. Verse 2 and verse 4 is what I really want to focus on. He said, steadfast love, this, this covenant love, this, this covenant love that, that, that manifests itself in the life of God, the power of God, the inheritance of God, the spiritual inheritance will be built up forever. This inheritance actually can be built up. It can grow in us. It grows and grows and grows and grows. It can grow. Or it can be just completely dormant. But it's given. Someone paid a high price for that. Someone paid the price in the currency of blood so that you, can, you and I can have this. And it's Jesus. This inheritance came through Jesus. But um, Psalm 89 is speaking in the Old Testament of this steadfast love that God has for us. 
It says it will be built up forever in the heavens and you will establish, God will establish His faithfulness. And he speaks about this covenant that was made to David. Even as it was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and further down the line, it came through David. And God spoke to David, I make this covenant, this covenant that I had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your, your ancestors, it's going to come through to you. And this, this covenant that I make with you is for all your generations. Now, many of us who are Christians know that we now become sons of David because of the fact that of Christ, right? Because of Christ, he has joined us. He has, 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 has adopted us into this line so much so that the promises of David are now ours. So when you come to Christmas, there's a lot about David, don't you think? Matthew, Luke, a lot about David. So I want to use David as kind of the symbol or the, 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 the catchword for this inheritance that you have. Everything that came to David is actually for us, right? The promise that God gave to David is for, for us. It's for us that we can have the life in which we are no longer oppressed, no longer bound in sin, no longer bound by bad luck, but actually free in Him, okay? And so, he says, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So we are offspring of David because of that, right? Okay, good. Um, when we were in Malaysia, we had the privilege of, of uh, not actually watching, but actually allowing our youngest daughter, Zephy, to preach because she was asked to preach in the, one, of the, one of the services on Sunday, which was the youth service, which consisted of college students and young, adult, young, young working adults. So we were not there for her preaching but after that preaching, we were, Cindy and I, went and joined Eliza and Zephy and the youth leaders for a lunch. And they were talking about the, the service which Zephy had been preaching in. It was only later that we actually listened and watched the video of it. But on that day, it was a very wonderful experience for us to hear how people were touched and were blessed by Zephy's word. She spoke on comfort. And she began by saying, the biblical comfort is not what you think it is. <laughs> the Hebrew word for comfort is naham, which had to do with the breath of God and the breath of the Holy Spirit upon us. So she started talking about that. Anyway, we, I was very curious to hear that message because I have never heard Zephy preach. I've heard her present things but not, not preach. So a few nights ago after we had come back, someone had uh, shared the video with Cindy and Cindy shared it with, with me. And I listened to it and watched it. And you know what? It sounded like me. It's, to a large extent, okay. <laughs> Sounded like me. <laughs> and it made me think about it. 
it just made me think about the fact that for good or for better or for worse, she had inherited some of the ways that Wow. Idiosyncrasies. But also, some of the things that I have uh, shared with her and taught with her was that she's, that she's, she's observed. And uh, I was actually very gratified to actually watch the preaching that she had done. And uh, apparently, uh, it had made... Uh, an impact, impact upon many lives. She shared about comfort and she shared many stories about her own experience and much of it had to do with suffering, had to do with suffering and the comfort of God. And I was thinking about how this little girl who I knew before as a little baby, now 21 years old, had suffered so much. And people outside outside think she's had such a great life, and she has, but she had gone through a lot. But I was actually struck by the fact that her suffering had made her, had drawn her close to God and made her experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And she seemed like an old soul who had gone through a lot, uh, but had done her homework. <laughs> As I looked around at the church, FGA, I think of my parents, and I think of my parents as, uh, uh, and people talking about the inheritance that, they, that, 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 that my parents had given to them. I remember, too, too that uh, my dad and mom were very, very, they're not loud people. They're not extroverts. They're not big talkers. But they have a quiet, excitement about God's love and God's power. And because of that, they couldn't help it. They could not help telling people about that love. I saw how um, we were, my, my, I, our family is a beneficiary of their hospitality, for example. And every time their hospitality would be in operation, um, uh, people would be blessed, they would be saved, they would be delivered. I remember the time when, uh, when God's Spirit was moving and there were all these drug addicts that I had brought to the Lord and I had a very small room downstairs. I tried to paint the walls brown and it just looked like the inside of a toilet bowl. <laughs> and I had given up painting, so it was like half-painted. <laughs> But there, were these, there was one time there were six drug addicts, gangsters, right, who were barely redeemed, who had come to the Lord and they would sleep in my room with, with me. So it would be seven of us in this very small room about the size of the, the, the lounge back there. And one time they, f they all fought <laughs> and I had to separate them. But my parents were hospitable enough to keep them there and minister to them and all that. So at the end of the day, they still now, maybe 40 years later, speak about my parents with tremendous affection and, uh, and affection and love. It seemed as if every time my parents gave hospitality, people would come to Christ. 
And that was normal. That was our expectation. That people would just come to Christ right now. And I remember that that was the case for us as well. When Cindy and I, we just got married, we moved here, we started the church. And we had people in our, in our house almost every day. Almost every day. And we had people who lived in our house as well from the church. Actually, several ministries were started in the basement and in our, in our house when we were there. And then I linked, oh, what was happening with my parents is happening with us as well. Oh, interesting. And then I remember that my mom's parents lived in Taiping, right? They, lived, they, had, they had 12 children and they had one bedroom besides, one bedroom besides the parents' bedroom. Yeah. And I've shared this with, with you before, that there would be 12 kids, there would be no beds, just mattresses, thin mattresses rolled up in the morning after they wake up. And they would wake up many times in the day, I'm uh, sorry, m- many times in the morning, not knowing who will be beside them because there will be some person who was destitute, they will come in, knock on the door, and they knew that my grandfather would be compassionate enough to bring them in. And so we would have, they would have, in this small house, um, lots of people who were very, very uh, destitute and who would come and they would stay. One of them became a cabinet minister in office. But they didn't, they didn't know that. That, person, that boy was completely destitute. So much so that that house was dubbed the rubber house because it was so stretchy. We had more people in it than the house could contain. And now I remember that my grandparents, my parents, and now us, experienced this. And now I'm talking to Zephy in Princeton, and she has this thing. When she was here, she just got a lot of tea, got a lot of coffee, a lot of things, so that she can give hospitality to people who were in the college. Many of them did not know Christ. And I say, oh, Zephy, this is the same thing you're doing as Ama and Akong was doing before in, 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 in Malaysia. There's something of a spiritual heritage, right? And I shared this with, the, with FGA, the church that, back there. And, I, and it struck me when I was sharing that what we are talking about when we talk about heritage is not history. History is something that happened and it's dead, it's gone. It's in the past. We are talking about spiritual inheritance, a treasure that has been inlaid and is being paid for at great cost by someone. And that someone is ultimately Jesus. Amen? That person is, is paid the price for us. Because he's paid the price for us, we have it now whether we use it or not. It's a living thing. It is, if it's a living thing, if you dig it, you dig for it, you will experience grooves in your heart, grooves in your spirit that help you to somehow be conduced to doing these things and seeing God work. Does that make sense? The inheritance is a, is a, is a, is a conduciveness to certain amazing things that God wants to do because they have been paid for. You own them. Whether you use it or not is a different matter. It's there in the ground of your being. Amen? It's almost as if... There's this bright and shining ball that has unlimited energy of, and, and light that's been buried into the ground. It will shine whether you dig it up or not. 
even if nobody sees it underneath the ground, this ball that is full of light is, is shining without you even seeing it. It doesn't only shine when you see it, it shines whether you see it or not. The unfortunate thing is that many Christians don't make use of it. But sometimes when you dig a little bit, you begin to see these little flecks of light, these spots of light, and you think, oh, what's that? And what God is saying is this, I have more for you. You may be living a terrible life, you have full of bad luck, full of bad things happening, the devil is chasing after you. You know, I believe that bad luck is really a spirit. There's no such thing as just bad luck. It's not statistically defined or, 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 or explained. It is a spirit. And there's, there's this flex, and sometimes you come to church, you see, you feel, you see something, some little bit there, a little fleck. Some, maybe a sermon touches you, or someone prays for you, and something happens. You are seeing a little fleck of light, and like, hey, there's something. I want to tell you that that is not all there is. If you just come to church because there's a good sermon, you're missing out completely. You miss completely the point. The point is that you have an inheritance that you can do the same things as the preacher is doing. You are just as empowered. It's all, this, it's all equal. Because God has given us of His Spirit, and His Spirit is without measure. Amen? This is what we believe as far as spiritual inheritance. It has to be mined. It has to be activated. And it has to be followed. All the stories you've heard mean nothing, you know. They mean nothing. This is entertainment if you don't be, take it as something that you can experience yourself. If you don't, then the stories are absolutely useless because they're just history. This is the story of one particular person, a man or a woman, who experienced that. That is not the point. The point is this, that there is an inheritance that you and I have, and we cannot rest as a church unless... Big or small, every certain, every person experiences the very power of God to hear His voice, to be able to bring people to Christ. It's a nightmare when we, when we don't, we, we've never experienced that. You have it. It's for you. It's paid for already. It's not a performance. It's not a performative thing. It's something that God calls us to dig for. So this is something that I, I feel Christmas will, will be an opportunity for us to experience in our lives. But I remember my dad, not a, not a, he would never, nobody would call him an evangelist, but he brought oh, hundreds of people to the Lord. Down, down to near his dying day, we were having communion and I knew that he did not have much time to live. And so he was very weak on the hospital bed. My mom and my dad and I were there. And uh, he said, let's have communion. So being the pastor that I was, I thought, I have to do it. He said, no, I will do it. <laughs> so he served us communion before he died. And then he prayed. He prayed nothing but the salvation of people. That people will be saved. He prayed nothing Accept that. Why? I was taught a lesson on his dying day. There's an inheritance. The inheritance has a company with it, a certain excitement. 
excitement, you know. And uh, because it's living, it's not a principle, but it's, an, it's, a, it's a living thing, therefore there is a certain amount of excitement. You may not be the excitable type of person or the one who makes people excited, but there may be a quiet excitement that you have. I thought about my uncle as well. My uncle is a cardiologist, and, uh, and uh, he was a person whose religion was the stock market. And then his wife got cancer, and God healed her. And then he got turned around, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to share the gospel with his patients. Now, he had a very prestigious practice, so a lot of prestigious people came to his his place. In about one year, he had almost 200 people, Chinese-speaking, Mandarin-speaking, come to the Lord, and they started a a Mandarin church since then. He later became an elder, and now he's in his 80s as well. Um, And I think about the church, and I think about their inheritance. Their inheritance has not, did not die when my parents died. Well, I'm sorry, my father died. My mom is still alive, 90 years old. And my uncle didn't die. I thought about the fact that this church has a, a, a heritage in which two brothers-in-law and their wives started a church. And never in the whole time did there ever, ever was there ever a hint of conflict or disagreement between the two of them. They were men of God. And the reason why the church talks about the heritage is because they had not seen much of godliness. They've seen power. They've seen impressiveness. They've seen the the artifacts of culture in the church, impressiveness, but they've not seen men and women of God because your inheritance, our inheritance, it's not just doing snazzy things, not doing just powerful things, but the, the nature and the life and the character of God in Jesus. That's our inheritance. We have a spiritual inheritance. You have one. If you believe in Jesus, give your life to, to Him today, you will be translated out of the old curse. It's a different kind of inheritance, isn't it? Into the new inheritance. Amen? I think of the culture that that church has in which people are just can't help infectiously sharing the gospel with other people. It's, it's quite, quite something to actually see that. In Psalm 89, it says, has said this covenant inheritance of covenant love, steadfast love. It's translated steadfast love in verse 2. Will be built up forever. It'll be built up for heaven. Forever. It'll be built up. It's not something that actually lies dormant. Neither does it just remain at at one level. It's actually built up. That's why we believe in church. We can build this. Not us, but God. But where is it built up? It says it'll be built up in the heavens. For that to happen, you must be there. You must live there. (laughs) You must live there. You have to live in the spiritual realm. You have to live in the realm of faith. 
if you live in the realm of your own experience and your observations of what's going on around you, you will you'll be sunk. You will be absorbed by that. But he says, this reality of God's power and God's love for you and God's purposes for you, it's in the heavens. That's why some people can't access it because they are so earthbound. They are so caught up in the things of the earth that they forget that actually God's truth is more real than that. When you break off, break out of gravity, that so, so to speak, the graveness of gravity, <laughs> if you break out of that, you will begin to live a life of faith in which in faith, you dare to say, maybe God can work here. Maybe God can do this. You be generous, you give. Maybe God can actually be generous to me because His, his covenant is the more you give, the more you receive. Amen? Yeah. When we live in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the realm of heaven, because that's where this covenant blessing and inheritance is built up. You see, it's actually built up. It progressively grows. The more and more we live a life of sacrifice, we become the father or mother of a whole that continues that whole inheritance. See, inheritance is paid by someone. Paid by someone. Someone lays his life or her life down for his children or his spiritual children or her spiritual children. And we pay the price for that. And what comes forth is eternal. It doesn't die with you. Even if nobody immediately takes it up, it doesn't die with you. It is alive like that, gold, that, that, that ball of light that's in the, in the ground, still waiting to be mined, to be dug up. But it's in the heavens. So that's why I, I, I challenge you to join us for prayer. Live more in the heavens because many times when we wake up in the morning, we wake up with completely dep depressive thoughts. Don't you find that? Think about when's the most depressing time in your, in your day. You know when's mine? In the morning. I wake up in the morning and the devil is there to greet me. And there are many times in which I wake up in the morning and I feel that disaster is just there. I feel like I'm on the edge of the precipice. There are many mornings in which I wake up that way. But if I live there, in the multitude of my own thoughts, I will live and I will sink. I will be completely depressed. But there is another reality, and that reality catches up on me, and I find that the first thing I do is this. I say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Sometimes I pray that. Sometimes I just pray in tongues. I just pray in the Spirit. And what happens is this. The real reality imposes itself upon me. I have to live in heaven. If I don't live in heaven, I will go crazy. Some of you, you have a nice life, so you haven't come to that point yet. You don't really need heaven right now because you think, because life is fine for you. Wait, don't worry. It'll catch up on you. It'll catch up on you. Don't worry. If there's, if there's anything that's true, hell will come catch up on you. Yeah. Uh, George Whitfield said when he sent out, sent out his, 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 his disciples out to go and evangelize, he says, go along and the devil be with you. He was, <laughs> he was challenging them. That the devil will catch up on you. But you have one who is more powerful. 
But you have one who will defeat, and every defeat that you have of the devil will take you up a notch. It will build up the hesed, the steadfast love of God, the covenant love of God, the inheritance of God in your life. Amen? Now, that's really important because if you don't realize that, then when you face hell on earth, you think, where's heaven? Right? Where's heaven? It's not true. Actually, heaven is in heaven. <laughs> and you're supposed to live there, live on earth in heaven. And Jesus did that. He that is of heaven, only a God could do this, came down and entered into time and lived this life for us to see. You know, when Psalm 89 talks about David, the house of David, what Israel took it to mean was us, us. It's given to us, this house of David, this covenant that was to David. It says here, um, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever. Thousands of years down the line, we here stand, stand here, near, coming near to Christmas Day, and God's promise is, I will establish your offspring forever. You who are David's offspring, I will establish you, and I will establish your offspring together. Your, your children may not be even close to the Lord right now. Your children may be struggling like anything. But he says, I will establish your offspring. And so how do you deal with this fact? That there is a promise of God and there is a reality we face. Right? This is what Israel experienced when Christ was born. Israel's fears and expectations and hopes and all that stood in the way of any kind of celebration that they had. And that is why when we celebrate Advent, we celebrate this preparation time in which we get ready for something that is going to blow away every limitation that we've had. But you have to prepare for it. And that's what today's Advent candle is about. It's the Advent candle of preparation. Because if you're not prepared for it, you won't believe it. You won't be able to access this inheritance of David. Yeah? And so this is what I want to kind of dwell on a little bit. Israel waited, was waiting on the promise of David. If you can turn me to Matthew, we'll talk a little bit about this period that we are in, in terms of um, waiting on him, waiting on the promise. Everywhere when you look in at Matthew and Luke, it talks about the son of David. In, uh, in verse 20, when the angel comes to Mary, and then he comes to Joseph. Joseph is wanting to put Mary away because she's found to be with child, and he doesn't want to make a scandal out of it, just wants to quietly put it away. But the angel comes in verse 20. He considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. There you go. There's a son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, there was in chapter 2, Gentiles, probably Gentiles. Okay? There is a chance that they, go, they were, they were, they were Israel, uh, Jews, but probably they were Gentiles. They were from far away, and they were the Magi. What do you call They are wise men. They were people who were, who were steeped in the arts, 
or mysterious arts. Verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him because everywhere people are talking about the son of David, son of David, son of David. And Herod was not a son of David. Right? He's not a son of David. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So all the messianic expectation, all the expectation that Messiah is coming, were very, very intense. Yeah? Even before Jesus came, we, are, we, are, we, we understand from, new, from uh, the history between the Old Testament and New Testament, there were several of these men of spirit, men of, 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 of uh, rabbis and a lot of messianic, so-called messianic people who piqued their messianic expectations because they could do miracles, they could do different things. Jesus was not the only one who did miracles. There were many people in the, in the 200 years before he came who came and people thought they were the Messiah. They would come, they would do miracles, they would, they would, they would, they would be very, very impressive, and they would uh, quote the scriptures, and then they would meet their demise. It would happen again and again and again and again. There were many, many messiahs. So that when Caiaphas, was it Caiaphas asked Jesus, which messiah are you? Are you what kind of messiah are you? You know? He understood that there were many kinds of messiahs. But Israel was rife. Jerusalem was rife with these expectations. Ugh. Expectations that had been embedded in them. They knew they had inherit in had an inheritance. They knew that inheritance was there that God had promised. But they had almost come to a point where they had given up on that, on that promise already. And there's this way in which they were waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the son of David to come. And then the angel comes and he speaks. And the wise men, they are some totally from left field. They're just totally not only left field, left country. They are seeking for that. They're not even Jews. They're seeking for that. And they've done their research. And they got caught in to this marvelous and amazing, extraordinary hope that somehow embedded in the grass, the, the, the grassroots of Jewish culture, there is a promised Messiah. And that he would set them free from all their troubles and give them a whole new life. And these wise men from the East were seeking for God, unlike many Jews. And so you see in, in this chapter 2, this whole other set of people who come from the East, these wise men, the Magi. And they've done their research and they know that somewhere dormant potential was this promise. 
You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And they caught that. They were caught by that. And it captured their imagination. And so came from far away. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Jerusalem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring him to me, that I too may have come and wo- to worship him. These are false worshippers. Yeah? Because their worship is all bound up with themselves, their own good. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, because he was not a good guy, they departed to their own country by another way. I'm struck by that. I'm struck by the fact that, unlike many Christians, many Jews, these guys who are from there, caught wind of something. They caught wind of the treasure, the inheritance. They caught wind of the fact that it was time for this to be revealed to Israel and to the rest of the world. They were not actually candidates to experience the good of it, but they had hunger for God. And you may feel that you're not one of those who are the religious type, that you don't qualify. But I want to say to you, it's for you too. It's been paid for. It's been paid for and it had you in mind. And if he, you would seek for him in this Advent season, you will find something moving. And I want to challenge each one of us in the church that God has something for you that will not only save and deliver you, but will bring someone to Him as well. It will be the power of God to make someone else's life transform. That it will break in, not only to you, but to someone else as well. That's your inheritance. If you would seek the Lord, He will appoint to you a moving star. It's very, very humble. And only those who are seeking will see it. Only will find it. Preparation this week is based upon last week's candle on hope. You've got to have this hope. Even if it's lying in the ground, buried. But it's shining. It's shining whether you see it or not. It's not worried that its energy will be lost or wasted. It is there. It cannot help it. It is by virtue of the fact that it's infinite in its power and its love. It will shine for you even if you're not looking at it. It will call out to you and it will shine for you even if you don't care two hoots about it. That's the love, unconditional love of God. And I want to put it to you that just like the, the wise men, we are a people who are looking for something that has already been given. Put it to you that this Christmas, God wants to save someone. God wants to do something in your life, in my life. That's major. Not some little trinket 
not some little bling bling for Christmas. Yeah, but it begins quiet. Begins quiet. Begins kind of dark. So much so that only those who are really seeking will find a moving star. Because you see, the thing is that when you find the Christ child, when you find the treasure, it's in swaddling clothes. It's very humble. Most people will dismiss it. Not impressive. Most people are consumerists. They're not into their inheritance. They only want to go to a place that's impressive. To go to impressive people. But if you want something that has a spiritual inheritance, a treasure that's greater than all the things that any church can give, then you have to be a person who looks in and hones in for God. By the time they arrived at the, at the, at the house, they had worship prepared for them already. They had gifts already. They were not thinking, God, what gift do you have for me? They were saying, I'm freed up from that. I have a gift for you. Their hearts have been prepared. And so, the candle for preparation that we are celebrating today has to do with the fact that perhaps between now and the 25th on or beyond, God has a moving star for you to follow. Do your devotion. Draw near to Him. And be ready to speak when He tells you to speak. Be ready to reach out to somebody when He tells you who knows who may come to the Lord because of you. Amen? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Call upon Him now. Go ahead, call upon Him. Truth is not just generalized. But it is personalized. Make it yours. God has something of His inheritance, something transforming for you that will make you forget all your troubles. He has something that He has prepared for you and you and Him. And it's already there. He will send a star, a moving star. And it will guide you there. Jesus, we thank you right now that you tore the veil from heavens down to earth. Right now, every demonic veil right now that keeps us and kept Israel in trouble so that we could not see because of the troubles, the lights that are moving for us underground and in the sky and all around. We thank you in Jesus' name right now in our lives. You break it again. You break that veil that the enemy wants to put up between us and you. 
God right now. So Lord, we thank you. You come out. You come out from the heavens right now and you find us in your love. And Lord, we thank you for picking us up, picking us up, taking us to heaven with you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for putting in our muscle memory that God, we were meant for devotions. We were meant for prayer. We were meant for heavens. We are spiritual beings born of you. So we ask right now in Jesus' name, every heart that is committing again to move with you and let them pick you up. Let you pick them up and move them into heavenly places. We say yes and amen. Amen. That choice to say, yes, Lord, take me out of my troubles. Take me where you are right now. Yes. Amen. Now, I believe that the Lord, even as we look to him, will begin preparing our hearts to share with someone who's on the verge of being saved the good news. I believe this Christmas there are people Perhaps people you haven't thought of. Or perhaps people that have come to mind but you have dismissed out of your mind. That he's preparing to meet you. I believe that God wants to use each one of us. We are preparing our hearts so that we will not be silenced intimidated or muted. And if you are a person who feels I'm just too timid to share with anybody about God, God is going to build up in your spirit enough boldness enough ease to step over the line and not be so sensitized by how people think or feel that you are totally rendered muted, absolutely unusable. The Lord is going to release you and I. And for some of us, it's just a little hump. For some of us, it's a big one. But the Lord has already given his life for that grace. For some of us, you've been looking for intimacy with God, strength for you on behalf of your family. And God is building you up. He sent a star And it will be something very unique for each one of us. But he will show you a way of tracking with him. If you and I will consecrate Advent season to just a time of just looking for him, following him, he will guide us to where the gift is. And so I want to invite you to just open your hands to him and just be open to him. Say, Lord, 
I want this. Thank you, you have paid the price for this. I just want to go get it. And so we welcome you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.